If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off the Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring him down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. I'm JJ Stankovic, joined here by Matt Taylor and Lara Overton as we recap the 2022 NFL Draft. The Colts made eight picks over the weekend, eight new players coming into the horseshoe. Later on in the podcast, we had a chance to talk with ESPN analyst Matt Bowen about the Colts draft class, and uh, there's a little connection there that's really cool is Matt Bowen Went to Glenbard West. He's from Glen Ellen, Illinois. He played in the NFL. Alec Pierce went to Glenbard West. He is from Glen Ellen, Illinois. He will play in the NFL. So some really interesting interesting perspective from our guy Matt Bowen coming up later in the podcast. But let's start, guys, just talking about our overall takeaways from the Colts draft. And, Lara, I want to tee you up because you've been so involved in, in with the next pick and talking to these scouts and our, our football operations department over the last couple of months when you saw the names that came out and, and, and the cards that go up on the board for the Colts to pick, what was your, your, your overall takeaway from this class? I was really impressed that in day two, in particular, you were able to move back. You were able to work some things around, go, drop from 42 to 53, add a pick in there, and then grab guys who you had on your radar had just stayed at 42. I mean, there were multiple guys that you thought, okay, we may not be able to get you know these three guys or you know we might have to finagle to try to get two of these and make some concessions but the fact that Pierce, Woods, Ryman, Cross were all guys that you had debates over that could have been in consideration at 42 and you land all four of those guys to me is incredibly impressive because all of those guys are not necessarily developmental guys. Yes, they're going to have strides to make, certainly, to adapt to the NFL game. But I do think that you're talking about guys who can step in and be immediate contributors on the offense with Pierce and Woods and Ryman. And Nick Cross is someone who Kevin Rogers, director of player personnel, described as the best safety talent the best overall athlete available the safety position in this draft there is immense upside he's a very intriguing prospect and somebody who Matt Bowen was excited to talk about especially with you know his experience playing safety at that level as well Mete uh you just got off the phone before we started recording with Cincinnati coach Luke Fickle that's going to run I believe in the last word on Friday yeah what what are your impressions of this draft class well, first of all, if the Colts draft class was competing in the Olympics, they'd probably come home with like eight gold medals because they I like are f- this. freakishly athletic, uh, incredibly versatile, like incredibly comfortable with whatever ball in hand, whether it was basketball or baseball or football. Chris Ballard wanted to get more explosive this offseason, add more competition to the roster across the board. Check, check, check. I mean, all these guys are big, they're fast, they're explosive. They tested off the charts, whether that's their pro day or at the combine. And the Colts are big believers now in measurables, and this is an absolute eye-popping class athletically. I mean, Larry just talked about it. You've got the guys at the top with Alec Pierce. He played 
special teams earlier in his career. He Track dabbled guy. on line at linebacker. He played volleyball and basketball in high school. Jelani Woods, freak athlete, quarterback before switching to that versatile tight end at uh, Oklahoma State. Then he goes to Virginia. Bernard Ryman was a tight end before switching to tackle. Drew- and a guy who only like played like two years of right. high school football, 19- right? Like you I mean, talk about just well, natural, yeah, just natural, right? Drew Ogletree, receiver, basketball Massive. stud. Then he moved to tight end. Curtis. Brooks recorded some of the best interior pass rush grades in the country last year. Rodney Thomas, what is he? Is he a linebacker? Is he a corner? Is he a safety? He's got a 41-inch vertical. I I think all of those things, the answer is yes. So the Colts brought in guys off the charts. They just need athletes. They need difference makers. They need impactful players. That's exactly what you're getting in this draft class. I I mean, Chris Ballard said, you know, this wasn't – there wasn't a different emphasis on getting athletic traits in this class than they've had in years past. But, I mean, you look at some of these things that are out there. Pro Football Network, Kentley Platt, his relative athletic score, which is some of those, like, colorful charts you might have seen on Twitter over the last couple of days, had the Colts as the most athletic draft class this year. NFL Next Gen Stats had the Colts as the second most athletic draft class this year. That's not a mistake. I mean, that is... You know, I, I go back to the first episode of With the Next Pick, one of the you know, when, when we got the the shot of Chris Ballard addressing his scouts. What makes him unique? What makes him unique, and also we are betting on high end traits. Mm-hmm. The Colts got a bunch of guys who are unique talents who have high end traits. That doesn't mean that these guys are going to jump out and be all pros their first year. It still takes a lot of coaching and a lot of hard work and a lot of development. But with this coaching staff, I mean, I I think about Ryman coming in and getting to work with Chris Strasser and Kevin Mawai on the offensive line. I think about Jelani Woods coming in and getting to work with Clayton Adams, who, by the way, he already worked with at the East-West Shrine. As well as Marcus Brady. As well as Marcus Brady. Um you know, the, these guys, you know, uh, Alec, Alec I just, Pierce with I was Reggie just Wayne? like, I can't believe I didn't lead with Alec <laughs> Pierce working with Reggie Wayne. I mean, like, the the this is such a, a fun challenge for the Colts coaching staff because these guys have all the athleticism in the world. They are all high character, intelligent football guys. Now you got to get that. You got to get the NFL production out of them. But whew, this is this is going to be fun. Well, not only are you banking on the athletes and their ability to develop and the coaching staff ability to, to develop them. It's also a testament to how confident you are in the guys you have surrounding them who are going to be able to help these guys. Chris Ballard always talks about reaching the ceiling. And when you think about, you know, Ryman working with Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, in addition to, of course, the coaching staff or Alec Pierce having this young group of receivers who he's working with and, you know, Nick Cross. I mean, what a fantastic situation he has with this young group of defensive backs. And then you have, of course, Stephon Gilmore stepping into that group as well, led by, you know, the veteran coach and Ron Miles, who was heavily mm-hmm. invested in the process of helping solidify the draft board but to to your point one of the things that I thought was so funny in the post-draft press conference on Saturday night the first question that goes to Chris actually yeah it was it was Saturday night first question that goes to Chris Ballard it was Bob Kravitz who Mm -hmm. says so Reggie Wayne's been here uh, as a coach for all of 10 minutes and it's his first draft and immediately he just gets whatever he wants is that how it works (laughs) 
And Chris laughing goes, that's exactly how it works. When Reggie Wayne's your if coach, that's how it works. If you've spent four years trying to get this guy in the building, yeah. you better be sure he has a couple of guys to work with out of this draft class. So, that he so likes. let's talk about the pass catchers. The Colts go with two pass catchers with their first two picks in the draft, and Alec Pierce at 53 overall and Jelani Woods at 73 overall. Mate, how, how important and how imperative was it for the Colts to add a couple oh of weapons gosh. early on there. It was huge. I mean, la- last week when we did our show, the, we had that draft thermometer, and we both had you know, a receiver and tight end pretty hot. Everything in the passing game needed to be looked at after last season. So Pierce is a great addition to the offense because he's got speed. He can make plays down the field. He can high point the ball. You know, big body guy, sort of that red zone threat that the Colts need as well. Pair him with Michael Pittman Jr. Woods, as I said, an athletic marvel. You know, for a guy that's six foot seven, two fifty, getting that hybrid tight end, that was big with the retirement of Jack Doyle and and how important tight ends are to the health of this offense. So I think those things are really important. Now, with that said, they're going to have big roles next season, but let's not forget their rookies, right? There's only been nine Colts rookies ever to go over 500 yards in their first season. Only one of those guys went over 1,000 yards. That was Bill Brooks, our guy, back in 1986. You know, Kylan Granson tied in last year, only had 11 catches. So I think the Colts definitely need more than that from Pierce and Woods, and I think they will get more. But let's not start screaming and yelling at the end of the season if these guys aren't hauling in 60 catches for 1,200 yards in year one. They're going to have to play huge roles for the Colts next season, but they are rookies. So take that all into consideration as you weigh what they're going to, what we're going to see from them in year one. I, I want to get to Pierce a little bit later, but I, I want to talk about Woods because I, I thought this was really interesting. Where, like Meta, you mentioned the draft thermometer that we did last week, and I think I think you and I put like the Y inline tight end as like the second highest in terms of our like I think it was like boiling and scalding, mm-hmm. which might be the same temperature. It was scientifically. It I was don't know. Hot. It was high. It was high, and. Um, it was because you look at the retirement of Jack Doyle and what the Colts lost there. They they lost this incredible blocking tight end. Like, he was one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL over the last eight years he was in the league. And he also, you know, you had to respect him as a pass catcher. What what seems to me is going on here is Mo Alley-Cox will probably step into that Jack Doyle role this year where Mo has really established himself as a blocker. The Colts still believe he has receiving upside. He got the contract extension. He's played more snaps every year he's been in the NFL. You can probably put Mo up there as your your number one inline tight end. But then for this offense to function the way that Frank Reich wants it to with a lot of the run concepts out of 12 personnel with two big bodies in there, you need that other big body. Why? That's what Woods is. The thing that I'm really pumped about with Woods is going back to the East-West Shrine Bowl, which is the the collegiate showcase game he played in, he got to already work with Clayton Adams in that game. Clayton Adams, the tight ends coach, a guy who Jack Doyle has said number a number of times, was massive in helping him learn some more nuances of blocking because Clayton Adams used to be an offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the times with these, these tight ends, they come into the NFL as rookies and blocking is a challenge for them. It, you know, the, the physicality, the technique that you need is is on a completely different level than it is at college. But I like the situation for a, a young Y coming into this offense who can learn from Clayton Adams, who can learn from Mo, who can, you know, pick up stuff from Chris Strasser, you know, 
I think mostly it's learning from Matt Ryan as well. And that's one of the things that in talking with Jelani Woods and I was asking about his background as a quarterback and how eager he is to start getting to work with Matt Ryan. He said, oh, I grew up in Atlanta playing high school quarterback. So he idolized. He beat beat Davis Mills in the state championship game. So he idolized Matt Ryan. I mean, grew up right there in the backyard of of the Atlanta Falcons and, you know, the, the bulk of Matt Ryan's career. So that's something that you feel like is going to be a fast tracked type of relationship because Matt's already had the opportunity, the luxury even almost at this point, of getting in the building, working with the current receivers. So he's gotten to know them. And one of the things that he hit on last week, not only is it getting to know them on the football field, it's getting to know their personalities and those different things and and beginning to gel and create relationships with those guys. Now you have this young group of rookies. And Coach Reich described it as like Matt's almost like another coach Mm -hmm. in the sense that he's had to lead all these workouts because coaches can't be out there necessarily when they are doing football work. So it's been a lot of it on Matt Shoulders on the veteran offensive linemen, on the veteran receivers and running backs. So that's exciting to see that. Well, one other quick thing here just about rookie tight ends. So, you know, Mayte, you mentioned the the stats for them, um, not usually super productive in year one. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, Pat Fryermuth on the Steelers had 60 catches, 497 yards, and seven touchdowns. I'm not saying that's what Jelani Woods is going to get, but – there, there are ways that if you can target their usage, um, you know, and just get them on the field that you can, you know, like Woods is a guy who, uh, you know, area scout Mike DeReese, who scouted him, was talking like he's he's a guy who's always open because he's just so so freaking big that he you throw can, it to him. Yeah, throw it to him. He'll so get it. I, I'm interested to see how he kind of takes to the physicality of the game. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, his athletic upside is just off the charts. Mete, though, let, let's go to Pierce. Is he immediately the number two wide receiver on this Colts team behind Michael Pittman Jr.? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, if you played a game today, I, I think he would be because you look at his skill set, he can stretch the field vertically, he can widen the field horizontally. That's really going to help the run game by spreading out the defense a little bit. It'll make defenses you know, play with, with two safeties over the top, which again will help the running game. Um, he can play in the slot. He's he's tough. He's shifty. Now, Frank Reich said after the draft he's more of an outside guy, so you like that. Take the top off the defense with his speed, the ability to go up and high point the ball. Really excited what he and Pittman can make up in terms of a one-two punch from the receivers. And if you look at the receivers the Colts have right now, guys, what Pittman's 6'4", Strawn's 6'5", Patman's 6'4"-ish, Pittman's 6'4", Pierce is 6'3". The Colts... The Colts should try out for the Pacers with with this front court well, lineup here. You say that. <laughs> yeah, the throw could they, could in they there. do any worse than the Pacers? Uh, throw in there. I think they could run up and down, do a little five on five in the month of October. But no, I mean, I, I just if, if you're asking me, is he the number two guy as of right now? I, I do. I, I would I would put him in that spot. Frank Reich said, though, you know, there there is no depth chart. It's going to be a competition. And, you know, we've heard about how, how the Colts like those guys. They like Strawn. They like, you know, Patman. They like Paris Campbell. Ashton Doolin, some of those guys are going to be in that mix. And it, it, I think Alex, Alec Pierce is not going to be just handed the number two job. He's going to have to compete to win it. But the, the thing that I like about him, and Lara, my ears kind of perked up when I heard this, was Chris Ballard said on Friday night that Pierce can do some of the things that Zach Paschal did. Mm-hmm. And when you think about this, this offense again, and just that, like, that nastiness that Pascal brought to the receiver room as a blocker. Uh, w- when you got a guy in Jonathan Taylor, 
Like there are like probably three teams in the NFL that can legitimately say, no, we need our wide receivers to block. And it's probably the Colts, the Browns and the Titans based on the running backs that they have. But I I love this idea of Pierce, like just getting in there and getting physical in the slot because that he's a big physical guy who has that kind of temperament to get in there and kind of stick his nose in things. And that comes from, I mean, the background and his willingness to do anything and everything that was asked of him, play on special teams, start out as a linebacker as freshman year at Cincinnati. And one of the things that I talked with Reggie Wayne about on on Saturday, I went back and sat down, and he and Scotty Montgomery were watching the later rounds of the draft, awaiting Alex Pierce coming in to, you know, make his arrival and, and do all the introductions. And Reggie said that he was among those that made the trip to Cincinnati to watch Pierce work out with some of his teammates. And when he had an opportunity to chat with him, Reggie said that it was mentality that really stood out. I mean, obviously, all of the physical attributes, right? You see it. But he said that he was blown away because Alec Pierce knew the offensive line protections. That's how well-versed he was within his offense, that he wasn't just going to know his assignment, his route, all of those things. That is how much he embraced every facet of being someone who contributed to do what was ever, whatever was called upon him. I mean, look, the, the, the thing with Alec Pierce that you know the Colts have talked about, he's talked about a little bit, is that he does need to improve his route tree. He needs to get a little more refined as a route runner. But something that Chad Henry, the area scout who scouted Pierce, said is like that's like everyone. It's like fifty percent of receivers coming out of especially of college. in college football yeah. right, right now. But the thing that and and Matt Bowen talked about this, so I don't want to totally give it away. But the thing that Pierce is good at is getting off press. And if you think back to what Chris Ballard said in his pre-draft press conference, he said a, a lot of the trouble with college receivers is projecting how they handle physical cornerbacks at the line of scrimmage. With Alec Pierce, it's a lot less of a projection because you've seen it on film. You've seen him do it against top competition like Ohio State. I mean, he he went for like 100 yards in 2019 against Ohio State when they have like the best defensive backfield you've ever seen. You know, he went for 144 yards against Notre Dame last year Mm -hmm. against a really talented Irish defense. So you've seen him do it. You've seen him do those things that translate to the NFL. The route stuff, look, he's learning from Reggie Wayne. That's just an athlete. He's an athletic yeah. receiver. I mean, he'll figure it out just because he wasn't asked to do those things. I mean, mm-hmm. more often than not nowadays in college, it says go line up to the right every play, and you're going to run one of seven routes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not that he can't Especially do it. He just the hasn't been asked to. He was playing with right at Cincinnati. Yeah. Right. Desmond Ritter. Yeah. Right. So let's let's do a little bit of a, a game here. I want to move on to this. Of how surprised are you? Because you mentioned Desmond Ritter, and Desmond Ritter went seventy fourth. Overall, one pick after the Colts selected Jelani Woods. How surprised are you that the Colts did not draft a quarterback this year? Lara? Zero surprise whatsoever. Same. It's it's <laughs> Honestly, we could go back from our podcast, what, three or four weeks ago. We talked about this. I said, it's not the strong class. You don't have anyone who you're particularly you, – you have guys that you like things about, but there's not someone with the other areas of need that you have that you feel like that this is something that's – Imperative. So, yeah, there's like zero whatsoever. I, I thought that there was a whole lot of additional conversation out there on Twitter and different things, you know, where people were really reacting to, oh, the, the Colts looked at this quarterback or watched this guy or worked this guy out or <laughs> brought it, this guy in on a top 30. And, and I'm like, I just it was a, remember, a whole lot of overreaction. Do you remember what Ballard said about that? Yeah. You know, it, he said this isn't. This isn't any different than any other year, but agents are pretty good at leaking when we go meet. Yeah, they are. And and here's the other thing. The last thing that I'm going to say about this 2022 quarterback class is 
part of the reason you want to bring these guys in and do your due diligence is not so much because you're going to take them right now, but let's say there's a situation a couple years, two years down the road where one of these guys might be up for a trade scenario where you're in what we kind of saw the landscape of quarterbacking this year where you had guys who were in a backup situation, very young, promising quarterbacks who were in conversations for a trade. So what happens if in two years and you haven't yet drafted a quarterback and you start exploring? Well, you know that you've talked to all of the top five quarterbacks, the top six quarterbacks, whatever it was, that went in this class. And then you've already got it. You know if they fit. You know if they don't. So you're not trying to do that stuff and come back around on the back end. Or the situation the Colts were in last year during preseason training camp. When Carson Wentz goes down, I mean, you could have another Brett Hundley situation. Maybe one of these guys – is on your radar yeah. if you get into a pinch. But, yeah, I, I think Lair is right. And, and just to piggyback on it just a little bit, I mean, it, it didn't make sense because the evaluations weren't there. It also didn't make sense because Jim Irsay in his – what was that, Saturday, J.J.? Saturday yeah. press conference yeah. with the media talked about the belief in Matt Ryan being able to play beyond his two-year contract here with the Colts. So it doesn't make sense to draft a quarterback with – questions in the draft and then not play until at least at least year three at the earliest when you had other pressing needs to address as you try to compete in a very crowded parody filled AFC trying to win the, the uh, division for the first time since 2014 yeah as well. I mean and, and you think about for the Colts to have drafted one of these guys it would have had to have been 73rd or 77th because when when they pick yeah did you want to give up a tight end or a tackle right yeah you know, and then you're your you're kind of you're kind of turning the clock on Matt Ryan if you do that. Even though it's a third round pick, you're saying we got this guy, we want to develop him behind the scenes. Like you are that kind of sets a timer on Matt Ryan in a way that right. like you were just saying, Matt, the Colts don't believe is the case for Matt Ryan. And you know, you, you this is an exceptionally yeah. odd year for quarterbacks because, you know, I, I think when the Detroit Lions traded up to number twelve I'm sitting there thinking, here comes Malik Willis. Yeah, Matt Ryan buys you way you know, more time than you thought right. you had in February and March. And and look, the Colts were not the only team in the NFL that didn't think these quarterbacks were worth taking in the second round because no team took a quarterback in the second round. And when round. that happens, the league is generally right. Yes. Kenny right? Pickett was the only quarterback to be taken in the first 70 picks of the NFL draft. And Shocker, he goes to Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah he just, I mean, he played college football at Pittsburgh. It's like, Did little, you know that Pittsburgh – University of Pittsburgh and the Steelers shared the same workout facility because I didn't see that story at all over the weekend. Uh, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Can't wait to see that every Sunday. But good for him. That's no, it's good very for him. cool. It's, it's, it's a, a really cool, cool story. story. It's a really cool story. We're not here to talk about Kenny Pickett, though. We are here to talk about Nick Cross. The second thing I want to ask you guys about, were you surprised that the Colts traded away a 2023 third-round pick to move back into the third round Get aggressive and take Nick Cross. No, because there are plenty of ways you can get that back later. There's a lot of work that you can do over the next 12 months to maybe get that pick back in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, it that's, was not, By the way, it was not the conditional third-round pick the Colts got from Washington in the Carson Wentz trade. So Important to note. So that's something that – there's a lot of ways that you can kind of take care of that business a little bit later. No, I think that they, they saw such rare talent in Nick Cross – Again, this is a guy that they thought was on their radar, or certain not thought was certainly was on their radar in that round two. So they couldn't. They, you'd already had him slip to you this much while you were addressing other needs and able to grab other guys. You couldn't run the risk of letting him 
fall, you know, past you if you didn't make that move to, right. to come up and get him. That's something I talked again with Kevin Rogers about because Kevin is just so dialed in. And he was the one who was on the phone making that call with Denver to get the deal done in, you know, the final minutes with the Colts on the clock or I guess with Denver on the clock, before the Colts got on all of that. Uh, but, yeah, they did not want to let this guy slip by. And it was – and I kind of joked with Kevin. I said, did that remind you of anything? He said, yeah, it was reminiscent of JT. Mm-hmm. Not that we're saying Nick Cross is Jonathan Taylor, but it was. It was just the type of mindset where, hey, we have an opportunity. We we have uh, a bit of, of – you know, not money, but we have a bit of capital here, you know, that we can bargain with to get this done. Why not do it now? We'll figure it out later if we need to – you know, finagle and maybe add some more picks later on because when does Chris Ballard not add picks in a draft? Right. right. I mean, the, the Colts had Nick Cross as a sec- with a second-round grade on him. So trading a future third is, in a way, if you have a second-round grade on him, you're trading a future third. You're getting really good value there. Mete, last one here. How surprised are you that the Colts didn't draft a cornerback until the last pick they made, 239th overall in the seventh round in Yale's yeah. Rodney Thomas II? A little. Uh, but I don't think it was a major deal. You know, cornerback's one of those positions, like we talked about, It's it, it, it always makes good sense to replenish that in the draft if best player available in corner overlap or intersect. You know, attrition rate is pretty high at that spot, so it's always something to be concerned over. I mean, inevitably, you know, halfway through the season, you're going to need depth there. Uh, but Thomas is a guy who's versatile enough to play on special teams. He'll compete to make the roster with guys like Marvell Tell and Anthony Chesley, who played a lot last year. So I, I think the Colts truly picked best player available on their board on day three. Not that they didn't on day two, um, but I, I think based on how things fell, they just stuck to their board, and they got a good football player there in, in Thomas, and they've got good football players at, at those positions at corner coming into this season. But, um, yeah, a little bit surprised, but not much because corner is one of those positions like defensive end, linebacker, corner. It's always good to have depth and, and guys that can play at a high level on rookie contracts. Yeah, I mean, a, a ton of corners went off the board between the 96th pick where the Colts traded up to go get their guy, Nick Cross, and then when they picked again at 159, um, you know, guy, guys on here, I'm just looking at the list, like Damari Mathis from Pitt, Jalen Armour da- Davis from Alabama, Caleb Evans from Mizzou, um, you know, Zion McCollin from San Houston State, Tariq Woolen from UTSA, there's a lot of corners that went off the board in the fourth round and then into the fifth round. So, again, you, you stick with your board. You don't necessarily draft for positions, especially, you know, if there isn't a tiebreaker there. Um, and the Colts at corner, you got Stephon Gilmore, Kenny Moore the second, Brandon Faison, Isaiah Rogers kind of is your, your top four there, and then a lot of other guys who can compete in. Still plenty of time to add other guys, whether it's undrafted free agency right. or veteran free agency. Let's get in to Matt Bowen here. Um, really, really interesting stuff breaking down the Colts draft class. I learned a lot talking to Matt. Hopefully you learn a lot listening to this, so take a listen. All right, I'm thrilled to be welcomed on the official Colts podcast by Matt Bowen, NFL writer and analyst for ESPN. You can see all of his work on ESPN+. Plus. He's on NFL Matchup during the season, and a guy who is from Glen Ellen, Illinois, which is relevant here because that is where Alec Pierce is from. Matt Bowen played his high school football at Glenbard West. Alec Pierce played his high school football at Glenbard West. So we've got a little bit of a connection here. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. How are you? We're, we're great. And we, I, I want to ask you, when Alec Pierce first got on your radar, you, you watched him in high school. What do you remember about him as a player – 
and the kind of offense that he was in at Glenbard West? <laughs> well, Glenbard West, okay. Now, Glenbard West, the power base offense. I, I'm JJ, that's what it was in 1994 when I was there. Power base play action. You know, Alex played almost like a like a tight end, flex tight end position for Coach Chad Hedlett there. Um, and I did watch him play in high school. You have to understand, extremely athletic at the high school level, multiple sport athlete, um, you know, recruited by a bunch of schools in the Midwest. Uh, I know the family extremely well, extremely ex- athletic family. His, his older brother was a college basketball player. His younger brother, Caden, uh, just won a state championship at Glenmar Western Basketball. He's going to play at Princeton. So extremely ex- athletic family, uh, an outstanding family, and a high-character family. And you watched him in high school, you could tell right then he had the athletic traits to maybe move on and play as a wide receiver, or you take him to a program that, you know, develops him and grows his body and put him in as a, as a tight end or, you know, a tight end that can flex in the slot. There's no question about his athletic traits, what he can do as a multiple sport athlete. And you saw a player at the time who had an extremely high ceiling because of his work ethic, his, his overall football character, his character off the field, and what he could do from a football perspective. You mentioned multi-sport athlete. He played volleyball, he ran track, Ooh. and then obviously played football as well. His dad, the college football player at Northwestern, his mom played volleyball at Northwestern. I kind of joked with him. I said, who do you attribute for giving you more of your strong athletic genes? And, and he laughed. He's like, I, you know, obviously got to give credit to my dad being the football guy. He's like, but I really think that it's it's probably my mom because she's so well-rounded <laughs> as an athlete. And that versatility has proven to be such an asset for him because when he started at Cincinnati he came back or was was playing linebacker contributing on special teams before developing into a routine contributor in the offense as a wide receiver how much does that multifaceted sport background his versatility how much do you attribute that to the growth that he had at Cincinnati and how that will lend itself to his contribution and his development at the pro level well I think it's a it's a great discussion to have you know i coached at the high school level here in chicago area at ic catholic prep and being a multi multi-sport athlete is one of my biggest things uh, when it comes to the offseason with our players i always focus on you know getting on the basketball court getting on the wrestling mat and then in the spring you know doing your spring sports one i think especially with alec you're seeing how the athletic traits translate right when you play different sports um you work on different movement traits uh, you, you're training yourself to be an explosive athlete in different movements. You're being coached by different voices. That's a big thing, too, as a young athlete, to be coached by different voices and be put in different adverse situations. That's what sports is about. And when you are a multi-sport athlete, in my opinion, you don't specialize in one sport and max out in one sport. Is you have a higher ceiling. You have a much higher ceiling as an athlete because when you get to the college level, as you just brought up, and you have versatility to play multiple, multiple positions, have the play strength to contribute on special teams, that tells you you haven't reached your ceiling as an athlete. You are not maxed out as a player yet. And that's what you want to recruit, and that's what you want to draft. Because we, we use this term development all the time, and it's great. It's easy to say. I say it. I've said it a thousand times, this draft process, right? But what does it really mean in terms of your athletic profile? And someone like Alec, that means, that he has not reached his ceiling yet. He's still going to develop and grow as a professional athlete, and that's what you want when you're drafting early on day two at the wide receiver position. If I can pick up there, Matt, um, you, you, certainly you know Alec very, very well. Uh, as you said, from his high school days, you watched a lot of film on him in college making this transition from Cincinnati to the NFL. 
with what you just said, what areas will he have to fine-tune? What areas will he have to improve in to continue at the level that the Colts need him to produce at next season as a rookie? Well, I think that, you know, it's a great question. I think that also comes with repetition, right, and having pro reps in practice in the preseason and obviously into the regular season. What you want to see with Alec, why – you know, when I look at Alec, he is, uh, I use the term a boundary X. He can play into the boundary, create isolation matchups for you, and he has the versatility, like we've been talking about, to play inside. As that slot targeter, as number two to three to trips. He's at his best when he's on the move. We know he's a vertical stretch target. I think for his improvement, is going to be going against NFL press coverage. And you can say that about a lot of rookie wide receivers. Now, Alec has the foot quickness to create separation there off the line of scrimmage. But he's going to have to develop more nuance there. And, again, that's going against pro competition. And you develop that by doing it. That's the, that's the number one thing. I, we, again, going back to development, something that you can talk about, but you have to do it. And Alec will do that. At the top of the route sometimes with longer athletes, and this is you know, predominantly most longer athletes who have six foot two, six foot three, six four frames, there will be – some lower body tightness when he gets to the top of the stem or the top of the break because you are a longer athlete. But again, that can be improved when you're talking about manipulating coverage and setting up coverage, going back through game reps, he can develop more nuance one at the line of scrimmage at the top of the break to overcome that lower body tightness. Cause that's part of who he is as an athlete. But in terms of what you see in the tape and the game breaking ability, the toughness, the play strength, what he can do inside the red zone. I mean, that has to be discussed. I mean, if you're Matt Ryan right now, you're kind of excited because now you have another wide receiver who can go up and make plays, who climb the ladder, has the body control to adjust the football, and is finished on so many plays at the college level, which will transition to the pro game. Yeah, the, you, you brought up something there, Matt, that I was going to ask you about because when you wrote your best of series before the NFL draft, you wrote that Alec Pierce had the best red zone ability in this year's NFL draft. And when you, you think about his his size and his frame and his skill set. I, I want to ask you this, Matt. How does he how does he fit with Michael Pittman Jr.? Because they seem to be similar in body size, but they're not necessarily similar players. Right, right. And I agree. You know, when I look at Michael Pittman, you look at the physical profile, the physical traits he has, um, and that's a big part of what they do in that offense. You know, if you look at Frank Reich's offense, a lot of crossers, a lot of overs, a lot of inbreakers, a lot of play-action throws when the ball is out. And Michael Pittman can make plays in tight windows, right? He can, he can post up defensive backs. Um, he can stretch you vertically down the field. I think with Alec, he's even better on the move. And I wrote that in a, in a, when I wrote a report on him this year, is when you get him on the move and he catches the football, one, he's a little linear after the catch, which is understandable because of his athletic profile. But I do think he brings more of a vertical stretch ability than Michael Pittman. Not that Michael Pittman can't get down the field. We know he can. But in terms of true vertical stretch ability, I think Alec is a difference maker there for this offense. Now, his ability to play in the slot, it's not something that he was asked to do a whole lot at Cincinnati. They usually went with kind of smaller guys there. But it's something he said he, he's excited to get in there um, and it, Chris Ballard mentioned uh, over the weekend that the, the Colts kind of view Pierce as a guy who can do some of the things that Zach Pascal did in the run game, just kind of that big, physical, tough guy who can block. And when you're a team that has Jonathan Taylor, you know, that's something you need to take into consideration. How does he profile if he does kind of slide into the slot in this offense? Well, let's start with the pass game first. And 
as you all know, down in Indianapolis, very split safety heavy on the defensive side of the football for your football team. Well, that's the league right now. The league is becoming more split safety heavy because they want to put, you know, a top on the secondary so they can try to limit explosive plays. This, this league right now is about limiting explosive plays and creating explosive plays. So defenses are more too deep or quarters heavy. Well, when you have a slot receiver like Alec, and we're not calling him a true slot, when you bump him inside the slot, that gives you size in the middle field. That allows you to attack the middle field. That's where the weakness is. When you can split the safeties down the middle of the field, we can use that profile, as we saw with his, with uh, jumping 40 inches, to go up and catch a football or to body up a safety down the field. That gives you a matchup weapon inside. There's no question about it. Can a linebacker match and carry without Pierce? That's a pretty tough assignment when you're playing zone defense. In terms of the run game, I, I fully understand why they draft them because of their offensive profile and because they want to be run heavy and use the play action passing game, right? We need wide receivers who can block. It's not just saying you can block. You have to do it. It's not just being a willing blocker. There's a lot of willing blockers at every level of football that say, Coach, I can block for you in the run game, and then they get knocked down, right? So you have to be a guy who has the physical traits. You have to be a little nasty with your hands. And you have to be able to latch on to linebackers, crack inside on safeties, and create running lanes. And want to do that. Want that to be part of your profile as a player. Is look, I'm a complete player at the wide receiver position. I can stretch you down the field. I can catch the ball and get loose on a crosser. I can split the safeties from the slot position. And I, I can also block for one of the best running backs in the National Football League with one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. Matt, looking big picture at this draft, even without a first-round pick, the Colts were able to address a lot of needs with some guys who do have uh, unique talents, specific skills and traits that they were looking for when you look at day two, led by, of course, drafting Alec Pierce and then the tight end Jelani Woods and then Bernard Ryman out of Central Michigan. In particular, with where they targeted those first three picks within the 2022 draft, how well does this fit the Colts, not only where you needed to address a few positions, but also guys who can be immediate impact players with what you were able to do despite not having a day one selection? Well, I would add Nick Cross to that discussion. Sure, too. yeah. I, mean, I, I really like I really like Nick Cross in terms of his college tape at Maryland. And, again, I always look at this. So when I'm watching prospects, obviously you focus on the traits, right? The traits are very important because that gets you drafted. You know, size, speed, and college production gets you drafted. But also scheme-specific players. You have to look at the traits and how they're deployed within your system. Nick Cross is a perfect example of someone who fits exactly what they want in the safety position in Indianapolis. He's got explosive forward ability. That means he can drive top down the football from cover two or quarters or playing in the post. He has the ability to spin down and play as an overhang or a box defender. He makes plays in the football. He's very disruptive, and that's what you want at the safety position. With Woods, I love the upside. I love the upside. Just because of the size he brings to the position, the vertical speed he brings to the position, his ability to break tackles after the run. And I'm telling you, as a former safety, I don't want to see this guy in the open field. <laughs> You know, it's one thing for a tight end to catch the football and you chop him down and go to the next place. Another thing when you have a tight end who's six foot seven that can move and will run through contact. Now, obviously, there's going to be a transition period for him in terms of learning the pro position at tight end. But there's ways, if I'm a coach with, with Indy right now, that I could use him in specific game situations to scheme him up. 
especially with Matt Ryan, who gets the ball out on time and sees everything before it happens, pre-snap. He's a veteran quarterback who's been in every situation possible. So can I get Woods to be a seam stretcher for me? Sure. Can I get him loose underneath on a quick cross where we can catch and go? Yeah, I can do that. And you might see situations when they get into the red zone where now you have three weapons. You have Pippen, you have Pierce, and you have Woods. Hard to cover all three. It's hard to cover all three from a defensive perspective because you want to take someone away. Well, you can't take three players away in one given play. So you could see situations where Woods is flexed to the backside as a, as a boundary receiver where he can throw the fade ball, he can throw the slam, get the matchup you want. With Raymond, he's a former tight end. You know, that reminds me of what Coach Ferris does. I'm, obviously, I'm an Iowa alum, but Coach Ferris does at Iowa. And taking tight ends and developing them into offensive linemen because what you get with that is the footwork. You get athletic footwork, athletic lower base. He is nasty in the run game. He is physical in the run game. That fits the profile of this of this Colts offense. And now you develop him more as a pass protector because you've seen him do it before. You've seen him do it. Will his technique have to increase at the pro level versus pro speed off the edge? Sure. Sure it will. But, again, that's part of the developmental process. Uh, process. And you are drafting the traits that he brings, and now you develop them in your system and your offense because he fits what you want to do. Hey, Matt, last one for me. I want to go to day three of the draft for the Colts and talk about another Cincinnati guy, Curtis Brooks. He had 12-and-a-half tackles for loss. He had seven-and-a-half sacks last year as a defensive lineman, a defensive tackle. But yet he, he didn't go to the combine. He didn't get drafted until the sixth round. Um, from your estimation, is that just because he's an older guy for a rookie? Um, he, he's 290, not 315 as a three technique. What went into teams kind of staying away from him, and how does he fit the Colts and their style of play on the defensive line under Gus Bradley? That's yeah, a good question. Well, there's various reasons why guys don't get invited to the combine. I was surprised he didn't because of the, the profile of that Cincinnati football team. You saw how many players got drafted from that team. I mean, and he drafted two. Uh, that was a tremendous football team, especially in the defensive side of the football. How many defensive players got drafted? How well they are coached? The play style they show on tape. With Brooks, I, I think you brought up a great point. It's the size. You know, doesn't have exceptional length at the position in terms of his arm length. So there are some traits that are missing when you look at the overall profile of a defensive tackle. But turn on the tape. I think he's you know can be disruptive against the run game. He's got a, that initial first step quickness. And if you're playing with the Colts, that defensive line, you have to burst off the football. You want guys to penetrate up the field. That's part of that attacking defensive front they have. And with a player who doesn't have, you know, exceptional high and explosive traits, I don't know that that matters as much anymore. Because if you look at the, the Colts defense, or you can take the Ravens, we can go throughout the league. All these fronts now are schemed. And you're creating one-on-ones. You're using a lot of stunts and, and twists to get the matchup you want interior-wise. So Brooks is a player that can make the team. He has the, the traits you want for your specific defense. And now you scheme him up. You scheme him up in passing situations. Maybe he can be an early down run defender. Maybe this is his first year in the league. He makes the club and provides depth because you're going to play 17 games. And if you're the Colts, let's be honest, you're not just playing for 17 games. You're playing for 20, right? If I'm Chris Bowd or Frank Reich, I'm putting this team together to play for 20. We're playing for a championship this year. That has to be our mindset going in. So I need guys that provide depth, and especially the defensive line. You need a deep rotation because everyone knows right now what the AFC has. And the AFC is loaded at the quarterback position. You need guys that can disrupt the pocket. I believe he can do that. You're talking about the Colts 
playing for 20 games, which is, you know, certainly the goal here. How do you see two, two specific guys before we let you get out of here? How do you see Frank Reich morphing his offense to fit Matt Ryan's skill set? And then the second part is how do you see Stefan Gilmore fitting in a Gus Bradley defense? That's a great question as well. Let's start with Gilmore. Um, I think Gilmore can play any defense you want. He is scheme transcendent. And when I use that term, I usually use it for quarterbacks, but it applies to defensive players as well. What that means is you can function and produce in any defensive scheme. Uh, Stefan Gilmore has played a lot of, a lot of high level football. He's played in multiple defenses. We know what he did in New England, very man heavy defense. Saw him last year in Carolina, which is a very multiple defense, play zone and man. But Gilmore can play on the edge for you outside the numbers because right now and more you have the best slot corner in the national football league you put them outside because when you do play man coverage this is the thing about indy that people don't discuss enough and i you know i said it earlier in the show here that they are too deep heavy but they will they will heat you up on third downs we saw it last year they will heat you up on third downs now will gus bradley still do that i think there'll be times that he brings zone and man pressure there's no question about it and with gus you've seen over the years he is Still going to be cover three base, but he will play split safety as well, just like everyone else in the league. And with Gilmore, he can play outside the numbers because he has backfield vision. And what I mean by that is backfield vision. If you're playing off the ball and you're, and you're in your, your back pedal, you can read number one, but you're staying on top of the route. You can also read inside to number two, and you read through number two to the quarterback. That allows you to be a playmaker. To overlap throws in the middle of the field, to drive top down the football, to get a jump in the football, there's no question he can fit because you can put him in any defense and he will make plays for you. In terms of Matt Ryan, I think at this stage of his career, the ball is out quick, right? And I think it's what Frank Reich wants. Frank Reich wants heavy play action built off the run game. He wants to make quick play, the quick throws underneath. And then when you want to take your third-level shots, you scheme it up. What I mean by that is you have two, a two-man route down the field. Maybe it's Alec Pierce in the deep corner route with Michael Pittman dragging across the field and deep over up. You're trying to create a vertical window for your quarterback. When you use misdirection and play action plus max protection, you're giving a veteran quarterback the pocket he needs. And he is, like I said earlier, he has seen everything. So he will find those windows and deliver the ball on time. That's Matt Bowen from ESPN. We really appreciate the knowledge. Great stuff, as always. Um, always enjoy talking to you and getting your perspective on things. So thanks for joining us here on the official Colts podcast. All right, you all have a great day. Thank you very thanks, much. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much, Matt. Great stuff. All right, thanks again to ESPN's Matt Bowen for joining us here. Let's get to the mailbag. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to will. So we spent a lot of time here talking about the first four picks the Colts made on day two let's talk about day three because this question comes from at sam bennett 20 on twitter is this a relative of betsy bennett it might be okay he's All a right. listener okay and <laughs> shout out bennett fam okay yeah. he might be yeah this is, is the problem with your colleagues know your wife's maiden name this is so. this yeah, it is true this is well, my we brother like cousin or a nephew very smart colts fan okay All right. uh who asks us what day three pick has the best chance of making the roster for week one? So I wanted to use this as a jumping off board to talk about some of the day three picks. So, Mayte, let's start with you. Who are you <sighs> taking as the most likely day three pick hmm. to make the Colts roster? I'm going to go 
Let's see. Of the four guys, I'm going to go Eric Johnson. 159th overall defensive tackle from Missouri State. Um, I, I think, again, uh, he's going to earn a role behind DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. I think he'll be competing you know, as of right now. I, I hate to say that because these guys haven't even showed up yet for rookie minicamp and all of that. But, again, for right now, he's probably on the second-team depth chart with a guy like Chris Williams. And, again, Gus Bradley brings that new emphasis to the defense where you're going to attack things, get up front. You're not necessarily reading and reacting as much as you used to. So I think his agility, uh, athleticism, I think that's going to get him. If you're asking me who's going to be here week 17, part of this defense, part of the rotation, of the four, I'm betting on Eric Johnson because of where he fits in the depth chart here in the offseason in the spring behind DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. I think he has the highest likelihood of seeing impactful minutes and time of those four. Eric Johnson was Dane Brugler's highest rated player in this year's draft to not get invited to the NFL Combine. So again, it shows you don't have to get invited to the Combine to get on the radar. Johnson did participate in the Senior Bowl. I I watched a game he played. Um, I usually like, you know, when you when you get these guys from smaller schools, you like watching them against the bigs competition they play. So Eric Johnson, the uh, Missouri State went and played Oklahoma State last year in uh, Stillwater. There was a play in this game where Johnson's lined up over the center, and he he identifies a run. He's able to disengage with the center and then loop all the way around the offensive line with some just crazy acceleration and burst, and he drops this running back on Oklahoma State for a loss of like six yards. That was one of those plays that kind of makes you sit up in your seat like, oh, all right, this guy's got some juice to him. Um, he, was a, he was a guy I wrote down here. I, I'm not betting against Curtis Brooks. Uh, you listen to his his press conference after he got drafted, and he was like, "I'm not going to forget how far I slid in this draft." Um, the, he he's a guy who's got a chip on his shoulder. He was highly productive at Cincinnati. Um, Mate, I know you know when when you talked to Luke Fickle, I was kind of listening in, and not to totally give it away, but Luke Fickle said Curtis Brooks was the the defensive most valuable defensive player on Cincinnati last year. A defense that had Sauce Gardner. Right. I mean. <laughs> it went fourth, what? Yeah, yeah fourth. fourth overall. That's that's pretty high praise for a guy the Colts took 216th overall. Lara, who do you got here? Oh, no. I don't know. I don't know. Can, can I make a case for you then? I'm gonna, you go I'm, ahead. I'm, yeah. I'm going to make a case. I, I'm I, like, but I got a lot of things working over here. Yeah. I do have a lot of things working over there. I'm going to make a case for Rodney Thomas II as a I special like this. teamer. Um, just like on first pass, I don't know how informed this is or not, but I'm like, this dude kind of reminds me of like Brandon King, who the Colts signed yeah. from New England, a longtime core, core special teamer. He's just got like athletic traits and toughness to him. Um, I, I like his, you know, kind of compete level there. Um, and then Andrew Ogletree is a guy who the Colts have been on him for a long time. Three years. I, I His story is fascinating. Yeah. So quickly, like if you haven't heard the press conference, so Chad Henry started scouting him when he was at – Findlay, Findlay as a wide receiver, a D2 school, and Chad told him years ago, mark my words, you are a tight end. And then when he transferred to Youngstown State, he developed and, and adapted into that tight end role. So he has said, I am a ball of clay. Mold me however you want. So you love that mentality coming in, knowing how this offense works, and a guy who can be adaptable and who you can develop in whatever facet, whatever role you need. He's play. definitely a guy that makes you think 
long and hard about keeping four tight ends. That's in the why. Roster. This yeah. is what I was like. Do you keep four? This is the math I'm it's doing over be, here. It's going to it's be tough. hard because it is. you've got Granson, you have Mo, you have, um, of course, Woods. Jelani Woods, yeah. and now this. I mean, and then you also. I mean, you have. Other guys here who have been who were on your know, practice squad last year type of guys, depth guys who we haven't seen in a while. We don't know what they bring in. So yeah, the four tight end argument is going to be real interesting when we get here into mid to late August. Going to be a lot of competition on the back end of this roster for spots. Uh, Bubba Ventrone is going to have a blast working with some of these young athletic guys and getting them used to playing special teams. All right, it is time for my favorite segment of the week. Maytay, your yes. random thought of the week. What do we got? Maytay's random thought of the week. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. You guys going out of town? Is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? You know if it's cold there? Do these vans get good gas mileage? How fast does this thing go? Does it have automatic transmission? Does it have four-wheel drive? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> So I think I think the intro is longer than the question this week. <laughs> uh, quite simply, it's uh, it's Kentucky Derby week. Lara, can we stay at your house? It's what not time? my house. It's what my time? parents' house. But oh yeah, yes, you mom can. And pops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Down oh, in, uh, Jeffersonville, right? You, uh, mama Sandy would be delighted. Do you know how much <laughs> it would just like make her whole year if I just rolled up? Like this is what we would do in college: is like roll up like two carfuls and just like descend <laughs> upon my parents' house. Like nothing Fire up makes the grill, nothing makes Sandy the beds happier. Are made. Oh yeah. Is, yeah. is Sandy a big "I made a casserole for you guys" type of person? <laughs> oh, she'll make she'll make you anything. Like yeah, absolutely. She's gonna yeah. She'll invite you. What do you need? That's the first I, thing I, she's I doing is I like going know. into the fridge. What can I fix for you? What can See, I do for I, you? I, I didn't know. Toastess with the mostest. She's got the Southern hospitality, yeah, all that, of that. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Louisville, Louisville is a little bit, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit south there because the Midwestern thing is your friends are here from college. I made you a casserole. Yeah, it's similar. Very <laughs> similar. I mean, it's and it's New Albany, so, you know, it's still in right, Indiana, still in but Indiana. you get the, the Louisville flavor. Larry. Yeah, you know, my, meanwhile, my stepdad would be making up, like, mint juleps. Like, here of we course. go, it's Derby Weekend. Let's go, guys. Larry, do you say Louisville or Louisville? Absolutely Louisville. You have to say it as Louisville. if you have mashed potatoes in your mouth. <laughs> How do you say the capital of Kentucky? Frankfurt. Hey, I didn't trick you. There you go. <laughs> As someone who started her television career in there the Louisville market, if yeah. I botched that, I'd be in big trouble. That's a, that's a dad joke right yeah, there. Well played. Good yeah, job. Yeah. yeah. Go. I was going to say, is, this I is was your jam, say Lexington, right? and that's embarrassing. Oh, see, James, you got so much to learn. Yes, This please. is your weekend. Let's go. It is. I'm so excited. It's been a few years. It's been a few years since I've gone. Uh, because what were we doing? There was a reason. Oh, last well, year, the draft. year was the draft. Last year was the draft. So yeah. I was watching it here in our office along with Sherry Osborne, uh, one of our incredibly talented content creators. She's a huge horse fan, horse racing fan. So she and I were locked in. Matthew Dominic, big horse racing fan as well. So we were all locked in watching the races. Uh, and Carly Ursay totally like lent into it. She wore the hat. It was incredible. That's like right. she walked she into did. the draft yeah. room. I mean, it was so awesome. She had like this derby hat on and everything. <laughs> it was so so well done. Uh, and then of course it was weird in twenty. It was actually run in the fall because they delayed it for pandemic. Yeah. So I'm like six years removed from going just because of of work conflicts and different things. And it also always falls the same Saturday as the mini. So the years I would sometimes have to trade off. Am I running the mini or am I going to Derby? But roughly every five years or so, we try to go as a family. So we make it a big group thing. And just so happens that this year, my niece turns one. 
on Derby Day. Oh, so perfect. there's no, I mean, like, this is like the Super Bowl for my parents. Like, they're like, oh my gosh. Does she we have, have our a hat? First... Does she have an outfit ready? Oh, of course she does. Get it. Oh, Get I, it. yes, yes. She's going to be best, better dressed than any of us are. <laughs> like, I have a new dress. I got a hat. I got the whole deal. Um, Dan is very concerned because he's like, I don't think you can get in a car with that hat on because it is. <laughs> It's elaborate. It is. It's uh, where does quite where does one go for a Kentucky okay, Derby hat? This I'm so glad you asked. Um, well, my mom thankfully has been so many times. I just shop her closet again. Sandy hospitality opens the door. She'll give you anything. You know, like oh, you need a hat. You know, you need a casserole. You need a beverage. What do you need? Uh, so I just borrow them from my mom at this point. But there are um, a number of custom hat outfitters across Louisville. People who have boutiques, or if you're someone who likes to design your own, what you can do is buy the hat, it's like a blank palette, and you go to like a D's Crafts, and they'll build, (laughs) seriously, it's like they're building like a planter on top of the hat to... You know, and they'll accessorize custom fit it, it mold it. Well, I mean, right? the hat, you've got to buy the hat, but then yeah. they just add the flowers and the ribbon and, you know, some mine has feathers, like all sorts of things. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's so great. It's it's very festive. Lot it's of very fun. Individualism in your hat. A lot of. It's That's, a lot of personality really cool. in the hat. It's all about a statement. So yeah. um, if you guys want to know, you didn't ask, but uh, my pick thus far, it's early. Um, they just kind of, the early odds went out yesterday. I'm going to take charge it. Right now, um, yes. Was I that love sound that. Effect or did you do no, that, that was own? that was Mate. That's the talent that he brings. Yeah, charge it, Todd Pletcher horse, <laughs> love Pletcher, fanta- fantastic trainer. Um, so I'm gonna go. That's that's who I like. I like charge it right now. Okay, you would know. This is my pick. So, I'll, look, I'll look, trust you. While, while we're here, twenty I mean, to we, one odds. It's we, good odds. We better make our our Kentucky Derby picks, Mate. I've done no research. Zero. So I am going to go. Ahead. I'm going with glue stick. <laughs> Glue- Have oh. you guys ever seen the Sting? Mate. It's it's Bluto by a hair. No Sting fans in this uh, in this room here. Sting. Nobody's like ever the seen musician? the Sting. Like, yeah, I thought oh. the musician. The Sting, I'm like with go... uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Oh my gosh. I am going to go. No, because I'm not. With... It's Bluto. While Mate's doing that, I'm going to go and take a horse whose name I can pronounce. Epicenter. Okay. At seven to two. There you go. That's good odds. I'll double down with JJ. We'll go. We'll go halvesies on that bet. Okay. All right. There you go. We're going epicenter. We are going to get out of here on this episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. But before we do, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Colts Audio Network. You are not going to want to miss all the stuff we've got dropping this week. We've got interviews with Colts draft picks shortly after they were drafted. You're going to want to check out the one-on-one interview that Jeffrey Gorman and I did with Alec Pierce, where Jeffrey Gorman said something very odd. (laughs) That's not news, though. It's not news. I don't know why I even teased it with that. Hey, Inside Football with Rick Venturi is back on Wednesday. Like, Rick, the amount of studying he does for the draft, like, he could show up to the draft room and make a pick, and it'd probably be pretty good with the amount of knowledge he's got about this year's draft. So be sure to check that out on Wednesday. We're also going to have a Colts player in our studios on Wednesday for week three of the offseason workout program. On Thursday, Inside the Draft with Jeff Diamond, the former GM of the Titans and Vikings, will be on. And on Friday, the last word, recapping the draft in week three of the offseason program with guest Luke Fickle on that show. You're also going to want to keep your eyes out for a new episode of With the Next Pick, hopefully coming out sometime this week. I've got a big feature story I'm running on Colts.com about the foreign exchange year that Bernard Ryman spent in Michigan, in small-town Michigan, A really interesting story. That should be on Colts.com by the time 
you listen to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at JJ Stankovitz. Mayte is at Mayte Colts. Lara is at Lara Overton. You can tweet us your questions about the Colts whenever you want. We'll get to the best ones on every podcast every Tuesday here on the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. For Matt Taylor and Lara Overton, I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.